Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This morning, I want to start with an exercise. When you came in this morning, I hope you were given a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper are four lines, or three lines, of what appear to be a random collection of simple words. It's a jumble of 16 words. Let me read it to you. That, that, is, is, that, that, is, not, is, not, is not that it, it is. Now, I think you'd all agree that's a nonsensical statement. I mean, what did that do for you? I mean, mean anything to you? I'll tell you exactly what it meant to you. Absolutely nothing. But here's what we're going to do. I want you to get out a pen, if you got one, And I want you to follow some simple instructions. What we're going to do is we're going to insert a few things into this nonsensical string of words. And suddenly it's going to do something. Now, if you didn't get the handout for some reason or if you don't have a pen, you can follow along on the big screen. We're going to put it up there. Are you ready? Everybody ready? Okay. First, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put quotation marks in front of the first that and the last is. Quotation marks in front of the first that and the last is. Second, we're going to capitalize three letters. Just scratch over the lowercase and turn it into an uppercase. Capitalize the first letter in the first that. Then the first letter in the fifth is... And then the first letter in the last, it. So capitalize the first that, the fifth is, and the last, it. With me? Okay. Third, I want you to insert two commas and a dash. The commas are going to go after the first is and the first not. Put the dash after the second is. Finally, let's add an exclamation point, a period, and a question mark. The period goes between the last is and the last quotation mark. Put the exclamation point after the second not. And then I want you to insert the question mark after the first it. Okay. Everybody's got it. You ready? Now, having added the capitalization and the punctuation, let's read these 16 words again. That that is, is. That that is not, is not. Is not that it? It is. Suddenly, our nonsensical sentence now makes some sense. We've just read the exact same 16 words in the same order 
But with the insertions we made, what seemed like a random collection of words now finds meaning. Well, today, I want to teach you how to punctuate your problems. Right now, your life may appear to be nothing but a jumble of obstacles and difficulties and stressful circumstances. Your life doesn't make a lot of sense. Randomness tends to rule. You're perplexed and distressed. You have to confess, my life is a mess. Once Charlie Brown and Lucy, they were into a heavy philosophical conversation. Lucy makes an astute observation. She says, life is like a deck chair, Charlie Brown. Some people place it so they can see where they're going. Some place it so they can see where they've been. And some place it so they can see where they're at. Charlie Brown thinks for a minute. Then he responds, yes, but I can't even get mine unfolded. Perhaps you feel like confusion is your roommate. You can't even get your deck chair unfolded. At times, our lives resemble a knot that refuses to untangle. It's a dilemma, a real quandary, but that's because we haven't punctuated our lives properly. This morning, we're going to take your string of struggles, your jumble of circumstances, and we're going to make a few insertions. First, we're going to place quotation marks at the beginning and end of your troubles. We're going to add a couple of capitalizations, a few commas and dashes scattered throughout, an exclamation point, a period, and a question mark. For when you make the proper insertions, instantly your life takes on a whole new meaning. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29 provide us God's rules for punctuation. Well, first, let's take your string of problems And let's add some quotation marks. For God says, not Sandy says, not some counselor says, not a friend trying to cheer you up says, not some positive thinking aficionado says. No, God the Holy Spirit himself says that all things work together for good to those who love God. I want you to put the problems you're facing today between those two quotation marks. The situations you're dealing with have been ordained by God. God hasn't necessarily caused them, but he's at the very least allowed them. I believe that God is sovereign. God is over the affairs of men. And as a result, nothing gets to me that doesn't first pass through him. Before a trial touches me, it first has to get divine authorization. And before God sends it on, he attaches to it a purpose that he wants to work in my life. Our problems take on a completely different meaning when we wrap them between divine quotation marks. On the town square in Enterprise, Alabama, there's a monument to the boll weevil. Years ago, this farming town made its living off King Cotton. That is, until a swarm of boll weevils invaded and threatened to permanently ruin the town's economy. As it turned out, the enterprising farmers of Enterprise, Alabama, were forced to switch to peanuts that year. And to their surprise, when harvest time came, they made more money from the peanuts than they had ever made from the, from the cotton. As a matter of fact, they never went back to cotton. They kept growing peanuts. The blight of the boll weevil became a bonanza to the town's economy. 
And to acknowledge their appreciation, the farmers in Enterprise, Alabama, set up a statue in the town square. In fact, you can go to Enterprise today, and you'll see a monument to the boll weevil. <coughs> hey, God has not fallen asleep at the helm. Our God is in control. God wants to turn your disappointments into divine appointments. Nothing happens to a child of God that God isn't willing to transform into something good. I have a sign I found years ago. It's a little sign. I keep it in my office. It says, God is greater than any problem that I have. And it's true. Think of it. The very thing that is today creating stress in your life, anguish in your heart, will one day be a cause of great rejoicing. Your source of misery will become a monument to God's faithfulness. Now let's get back to our string of struggles. And as we did with that string of words, let's capitalize two words for emphasis. Notice, God works, capitalize it, all things. All things together for good. Notice it's not just a few things, or some things, or even most things. No, it's all things. Recently, an art gallery in Alexandria, Virginia, hosted a junk art exhibition. For $3,000, you can purchase a full-length woman's coat knitted out of plastic garbage bags. The show included model airplanes made from beer cans, a lamp made from an old bowling ball, sculptures made from rusted picture frames and clock parts and saw blades and truck panels and sardine cans and tea bags and even old Band-Aid wrappers. The exhibit gave new meaning to the phrase trash art. But understand, God is into trash art. He wants to take the trash in our lives, our shattered dreams, scarred memories, broken hearts, battered hopes. He wants to turn them into something oh so good. He wants to take what we would consider junk in our life and turn it into valuable and beautiful pieces of art. You know, sometimes life is like trying to work a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle without the box top. That's tough to do. It's tough to arrange the individual pictures, pieces together when you lack the big picture. But God sees the box top. He has his eyes on the end result. God sees the picture, and he alone can work the puzzle and fit all the pieces into their proper place. A pastor once went to console a husband and his wife who were grieving over the loss of their little baby. And trust me, from a pastor's perspective, those kinds of moments are horribly awkward. Everything you think to say runs the risk of coming across trite or insensitive. Well, this particular pastor was groping for words when all of a sudden a woven bookmark fell from his Bible. On one side, it was a tangled web of thread. But on the other side, were embroidered the words, God is love. And you see, this is true for our lives, from our perspective. At times, life is confusing. It's tangled. But from God's perspective, he's working all things for good. Reinhold Mesner is a famous mountain climber. He was the first of two men to scale Mount Everest without an oxygen tank. Then he decided he needed to climb the mountain by himself, and he succeeded. 
Afterwards, Mesner was asked the stock question that all mountain climbers get asked. Why did you do it? He replied, because at the top, all the lines converge. And this is true in life. Our lives are a portrait that God is in the process of painting. And no matter how random the lines seem at times, eventually every brushstroke comes together just as God intended. Not a few, not even some, not even most. But capitalize those two important words. All things work together. Well, we also need to sprinkle a few commas and a few dashes throughout our problems. You remember high school English? Commas and dashes are connectors that link together the different thoughts that make up a sentence. And this is what God does with our problems. Rather than stand alone, they all link up and things in our lives work together. In verse 28, the Greek word translated work together is the term synergio, from which we get our English word synergy. Here's how Webster's defines synergy. It's the cooperative action of various elements to produce an effect greater than and different from the sum of each element acting separately. In other words, we can do more together than we can apart, or two heads are better than one. Take, for example, common table salt. Salt is the cooperative action of two elements that are poisonous by themselves, sodium and chloride. Consume either element alone, and it'll prove deadly. But both of them working together overcomes their harmful effects and creates something beneficial. And this is what God does. He takes the various circumstances of our lives, and He creates a synergistic effect. He brings together problematic circumstances and distressing situations in a way that ultimately, overall, in the end, the outcome is good and productive. Ladies, let's say you're in the kitchen baking a cake. When all of a sudden I walk in and I start sampling the ingredients. I taste a pinch of baking soda. Then I sip some of your extract. Then I munch a handful of flour. Swallow a couple of raw eggs. And it doesn't take long before I'm sick at my stomach. By themselves, on their own, none of the cake's ingredients taste very good. But if I allow you time to mix them together according to the recipe and give them time to bake, eventually I'll enjoy a delicious dessert that's a pleasure to taste. And this is what God does. Many of our experiences, if taken on their own, taste bitter It makes us nauseous, but God takes those ingredients, and He has a recipe. He mixes them together, bakes them thoroughly, and turns them into a tasty outcome. Once there was a sailor stranded on a deserted island. It was a daily struggle just to survive. After several weeks, he had managed to build a makeshift hut, which protected him from the brutal weather and provided him a place where he could store the food that he was gathering. Well, one day the castaway was out searching for more food when he noticed a fire rising above the treetops. He raced back in the direction toward his hut, only to find it engulfed in flames. He was so disappointed, he sunk into a deep depression. All he had worked for was suddenly gone up in smoke. That is, until a week or so later, the sailor spotted a ship sailing toward the island. It was a rescue party. When he asked the captain how he knew he was on the island, the captain said he had seen his signal fire. 
What the sailor interpreted as a catastrophe, what had caused him deep depression, had actually been his salvation. God mixes apparent tragedies with right circumstances and with good timing to work his purposes. Right now, that's what God is up to in your life. God works all things together for good. you got to believe that. All that's coming down in your life right now is happening to you for your good and for God's glory. This is why we need to add an exclamation point. Here's a promise to get excited about. Of course, the word good is a relative term, isn't it? What's good to you may not be good to me. For example, you might enjoy butterscotch candy. You might think it's tasty, it tastes good. I don't understand you. I hate butterscotch candy. I'd rather suck on pig's feet than eat butterscotch candy. God works all things together for good as he defines good, not necessarily as we define good. See, if you read this verse and you think good means an easygoing, smooth sailing, trouble-free life for you and yours, if you think it means fat bank accounts and rungs up the corporate ladder and never a conflict with the people you love or stay in the hospital, then you're misreading this verse. Nothing in life grows without struggle and pain. God's good is not a continual picnic in the park. It's us moving into his will and getting somewhere and taking strides and stretching our faith and building up his kingdom. See, Romans 8 verse 28 is one of the most misread verses in the Bible. Folks quote it as if it says, all things work together for my good. But that's not how it reads. God's goal is not just your good. It is for your good, plus my good, plus the good of others, plus God's good. See, God is at work in our circumstances to achieve a mixture of your good and other people's gain and even His glory. God's intention is never some cheap, superficial, selfish version of good. God wants to produce a solid, eternal good that reverberates to others. Once a professor at Georgia Tech said to a student, Son, you don't have enough sense to stand on the corner and sell hot dogs. After flunking out of Tech, this particular boy decided to do just that. He threw up a shack on North Avenue, started selling hot dogs and hamburgers. The year was 1928. The student's name was Frank Gordy, and he named his hot dog stand The Varsity. Irvin Walker told me the story of Frank Gordy. Irvin has worked at The Varsity for 44 years. On one of my frequent visits, he told me that The Varsity had made Gordy a multimillionaire, but it also helped him provide for his 12 children, helped him to give them a good life. The blessing had had a ripple effect. Frank Gordy's failure was not only his own gold mine, it was a blessing to Irvin and other employees like him. In fact, there's another man. His name is Pastor Sandy. And he says that Frank Gordy's restaurant has provided him countless hours of dining pleasure. My point is, is that Frank Gordy's misfortune became a chain reaction for good. It became a blessing for Frank Gordy and for Irvin Walker and for the 12 Walker kids and for Sandy Adams. 
And even my wife and grandkids love to go to the varsity. On a more serious note, Myra Welsh is a famous poet. She was once interviewed. Mrs. Welsh is the one who wrote the poem, The Touch of the Master's Hand. It's a beautiful ballad that has warmed hearts and encouraged millions of people over the years. Well, when the interview was over with Mrs. Welch, the reporter went to leave, but the elderly woman stopped him. She patted her wheelchair, and she said, I also want to thank God for this, for if I'd never been confined to a wheelchair, I would have never cultivated my love for poetry. To Mrs. Welch, God turned the symbol of her weakness, her wheelchair, into strength for thousands. Initially, God's work may seem harsh. The storm clouds appear dark and heavy and threatening, but God's clouds always contain a silver lining. God, good, eventually rises out of the storm. We need to trust Him, friends, for God sees to it that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Well, I want you to notice Though God's promise is is good, it's real, it's for us, it's not an open-ended offer. For there is a period at the end of His promise. This word of hope only applies to those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. And you might say, well, Sandy, I love God, but I'm really not sure about His will for my life. What is God's purpose for me? Well, in verse 29, Paul lays out God's will for all of us. He says, to be conformed to the image of His Son. God's purpose for you and for me is to make us like Jesus. And if this is your goal, then you can be certain that all things will work together for good. So often we think of the will of God as a specific activity or a given place or a relationship with another person. When in reality, the will of God is a process. God's will is not a destination as much as it is the journey itself and the person God plans to make us along the way. God fashions us into the image of His Son. He wants our manners to be full of grace, our voice to be full of love, our countenance to be full of His glory. God wants us to circulate the warmth of Christ and emanate the strength of Christ, and radiate the goodness of Christ, and articulate the truth of Christ. God wants His servants to take after their master. See, if you trust Jesus, then inwardly, God has made you a new creation. We've talked about this for three weeks now. You're dead to sin, and you're alive to God. Now, God wants to take all of that new life and have it ooze out of you, through your spiritual pores, into your attitudes and your actions. When Michelangelo finished his famous statue of David, the great sculptor was asked how he had created such a masterpiece. He replied, I saw a figure trapped in the stone, and I chiseled away the rock to free it. And this is how God looks at us. He sees the inner man. You have been made perfect and righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ but it's surrounded by rough, shapeless rock that is our flesh. And so what does God do? He chips and chisels to free the inner man from its fleshly prison. 
He shapes our attitudes and actions until they reveal the new creation that we are in Christ. Other people may just see you as a lump of stone, a real blockhead perhaps. People might take you for granted. But God sees you as you really are in Christ. And He's determined to sculpt and mold you until the life people see reflects the person you truly are. In verse 29, the word translated conform is the Greek word morphos. It's the word from which we get our English word metamorphosis. A metamorphosis is a striking or an apparent change, an alteration of type. When a wormy little caterpillar turns into a colorful, flittering butterfly, we call it a metamorphosis. Here's another example. When a rock becomes a crystal, it gets labeled a metamorphic rock. In Geology 101, we're taught that the formation of a metamorphic rock involves three elements, heat, water, and pressure. And in a spiritual sense, the same three ingredients work to change us. The heat of the Holy Spirit, His presence in our lives, it softens us. It burns out the impurities in our lives. The water is God's Word, which refreshes us and cleanses our thinking. And the pressure is is what Paul is discussing in verse 29. God presses us with difficulties in order to morph us into people of character. And understand, God doesn't flinch in this important work. He's not the least bit timid or squeamish or hesitant to use a little momentary pain or pressure in your life to shape and fashion a permanent change. C.S. Lewis once said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but He shouts to us in our pain. Pain is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Spiritually speaking, pleasure lulls us to sleep. It's pain that grabs and grips our attention. Reminds me of a poem by Robert Browning Hamilton. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. So I walked a mile with sorrow, ne'er a word, said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. God even uses our sorrows. You see, the cocoon of the emperor moth is funneled shape. When it comes time for the moth to leave the cocoon, it rises through its narrow neck. The moth squeezes through until it escapes. The scientists tell us that the pressure that the cocoon applies to the moth's body as it compresses through that narrow channel is God's way of releasing juices that fill the vessels in the wings. This ultimately causes the wings to develop and allows the moth to turn into a butterfly and soar. Once a little boy saw an emperor moth struggling to shed its cocoon and fly to freedom, Out of pity, he took some scissors and he snipped the threads of the cocoon at its opening to make its exit easier. But without the pressure, those wings never developed properly. And the moth spent its brief life crawling rather than flying. What a lesson for us. For when we try to escape life's pressures and run from the struggle, friends, we don't develop properly. Spiritually, we end up crawling rather than soaring. I really like the following saying. God puts you in a fix 
to fix you, not the fix. If you try to fix the fix God puts you in, he's got to put you in another fix to fix the fix he wanted to fix in the first place. Did you get that? Let's do it again. You ready? God puts you in a fix to fix you, not the fix. If you try to fix the fix God puts you in, he got to put you in another fix to fix the fix he wanted to fix in the first place. It's true. God uses trials to fix us. Well, finally, I want you to place at the end of your string of struggles this morning a question mark. Certainly, verse 28 is true. But the question is, are we going to believe it and embrace it? Verse 28 assumes that we know it's true. Paul says, and we know all things work together for good. This is something you know. You know, there's some things in life we don't know. Some things we can't know. Some things we should know. But there are a few things we really do know. And this is one of them. Every believer should be clear and certain about this truth. All things work together for good. Paul is saying this is a truth that we should realize even if we didn't have the book of Romans. Even if we didn't have Romans 8 verse 28. This is a truth that every Christian should discern intuitively. It's not just a lesson we learn. It's a truth that we sense deep inside. And why? Because every Christian has been to the cross. At Calvary's cross, God set a pattern. He took history's greatest tragedy and he turned it into our greatest victory. What appeared to be a catastrophe, an ugly upset, a devastating defeat. God worked together for good through the death of his son Jesus. He's brought salvation to the world. Truly, all things work together for good. You might say, God makes a living at taking over sad stories and giving them happy endings. Paul reminds you and me, we know this wonderful truth. And he's right. I know it. You know it. We just don't always want to admit that we know it, do we? Rather than rise up in faith and grab hold of the comfort in this verse, we tend to enjoy a good sulk. We prefer to whine and snivel and gripe and complain about our circumstances. Oh, the bum rap that we got. Oh, we all love a good pity party, don't we? You recall the story of Joseph? His brothers hated him. He was their father's favorite. They wanted to snuff Joseph out. Instead, they ended up selling him to slave traders headed to Egypt. When they returned home, they lied to their dad, Jacob, and told him that their younger sibling was dead, that he'd been eaten by wild animals. The Bible tells us that through a miraculous turn of events, Joseph ended up prospering in Egypt. He eventually rose to second in command in Pharaoh's royal court. And when famine fell on the region, Jacob's sons came to Egypt looking for food. Joseph had rationed the nation's grain, and Egypt was enjoying a surplus. It's ironic, but Jacob's sons made their request for grain to none other than their long-lost brother, Joseph. And when Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers, he sums up his painful past and all the excruciating experiences he'd endured. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. 
in order to save many people. Joseph rejoiced that his trials had resulted in good for the whole nation. It's interesting, though, Joseph's father Jacob expressed the opposite attitude. For earlier in the story, before Joseph had revealed his true identity to his brothers, he made them return to their dad and bring their younger brother Benjamin to him. He also kept Simeon as a hostage. And when Jacob was told what had happened, he cried out, Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin away? All these things are against me. What's Jacob saying? In essence, he's saying that all things don't work together for good. Jacob was denying Romans 8 verse 28 and calling God a liar. Jacob, are you nuts? I'm sure Jacob knew in his heart that God works all things together for good. But at that moment, he just didn't want to fess up. He liked belly aching over promise taking. I wonder how many of us like belly aching over promise taking. Understand, when you cry, woe is me, you, die, you deny great is God. You do. Satan calls out to all God's children, Come to me, all you who are grieved and peeved, and I'll sympathize with your bitterness. It's been said, self-pity always weeps on the devil's shoulder. We need to stop painting ourselves out to be a victim when God is in the process of making us a victor. Well, the way to make sense of your nonsensical circumstances is to, is to insert the proper punctuation. Punctuate your problems properly according to Romans 8 verse 28 and your outlook will change. Dilemmas and difficulties and hardships will take on a whole new meaning. Wrap your problems between divine quotation marks. God himself has made this promise to us. Second, capitalize the all in your circumstances. Not some, not a few, but all things work together for good. Third, use a few commas and dashes to string together various situations for it's working in synergy. Fourth, drop in that exclamation point. Good is the goal, even when it means a little pain. And remember, God's top objective is to make us like Jesus, period. And then lastly, don't forget the question mark. Yes, you know this verse is true, but are you going to embrace it and live it? And trust in it and praise the Lord for it. Let me repeat. Are you a belly aker or are you a promise taker? Punctuate your problems with Romans 8 verse 28. And your problems will no longer feel like such problems. Father.